We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always, for listening, for watching, for viewing, for subscribing. Appreciate y'all very much. Cheers. Uh, Today is Fan Friday. This is the weekly episode where you guys and girls drive the content of the show. Um, I plucked some of your questions and comments from my Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, etc., some really good stuff going to get you today. And we're going to dive in in just a second, but real, real quick here at the top. I don't want to waste time. This is a, this is a fun episode. This is probably my favorite one to do of the week because, again, you guys control all the topics. Just want to say, though, this is going to be, if not the last, one of the last times that we do a Fan Friday on Friday. Love the concept of this episode is not going anywhere. Well, technically it is because it's not going to be on Fridays pretty soon. Friday is going to be um, a show that I start doing a lot more live shows. The winter's over with. Um, Quite frankly, I don't like lugging my remote gear out to bars and restaurants when it's shitty out, when it's cold, it's freezing, it's snowing out. So I haven't really been doing that over the course of this winter. But that's coming to an end. So I will be taping a lot of shows live on Thursday nights that will drop in podcast mode on Fridays. Not just Imperial Pizza, by the way. I mean, I love Imperial. It's always going to be the home base for Talking Buffalo. But we're going to start getting out to a lot more bars and restaurants and doing these shows at uh, various different locations. Not 100% sure, but I'm almost sure that this episode, uh, the Fan Friday episodes, we're going to move this to Wednesdays. And obviously, with a Wednesday... um, the Wednesday drop, we'll have to come up with a different name. Can't have a fan Friday on Wednesday. So just pay attention and look out for that stuff. Um, on that note, let's just dive right in here. A lot of bills, couple sabers, uh, pretty good podcasting question that I, I have saved for the end. But let's uh let's just dive right in, folks. Um, I'm gonna need you to give me 
This is the first one. I'm going to need you to give me at least three NFL and also Buffalo Bills offseason bold predictions, whether it's free agency, trades, or the draft. And this comes from at Snuggums MD. Like that question. A good one. I love making outlandish uh, takes, bold predictions and stuff. Uh, I got three for you for the Bills and three for the NFL. Let's start with the NFL. Number one, I got the New York football giants trading up from the sixth spot in the NFL draft. I think they're going to move all the way up to number three. Uh, the New England Patriots who own that pick will move down. And with that third pick, the uh, the New York Giants are going to take quarterback Jaden Daniels, the Heisman Trophy winner from LSU. Guy is rising up the charts, up the draft boards. Um, I've even heard some rumblings. I think it was Dan Orlowski from ESPN who said he could even be in contention for the number one pick. But anyway, I see him going top three, and I see the New York Giants trading up to go get him. What's going to happen with Daniel Jones? Don't ask me. I don't know. I'm not a Giants fan. I don't cover the team, but I could absolutely see Brian Dable saying we need to get a different quarterback, go a different way, and they'll figure out the financials. So that's one. Um, Another one, and this is a guy I've talked about recently, and I've been tweeting about him a lot. Mike Evans, Tampa Bay wide receiver. I still think I'd say he doesn't go anywhere. Um, He gets paid. He stays in Tampa. However, I don't think he's going to be franchise tagged. So I think he's going to have the opportunity, should he want to, to explore the market and see what's out there. You know how I feel about Mike Evans. I think he would be the absolute dreamy, heavenly fit for the Buffalo Bills. In fact, there's a question coming up in just a few minutes about Mike Evans. But I'm going to be realistic here with the Bills. I don't think they're going to be able to, I don't think they had that kind of cheese, man, that kind of cheddar to go out and get themselves a Mike Evans. But you know who does? And this is where I think he's going, folks. Mike Evans is going to sign with the Houston Texans. Now, originally, a couple of weeks ago, I said that Gabe Davis was going to sign with Houston, but I've changed my mind. I could see Houston going big time, big game hunting. And man, oh man, what a fit he would be in Houston with a young C.J. Stroud and Tank Dell, Nico Wilson, weapons galore, Dalton Schultz. Love that Houston, Texas team as it is. And if they could go out and they could get Mike Evans, I think that elevates them directly into that mix of the AFC um, elite team. So I got Mike Evans going to Houston. And then my last one, uh, we're going to go back to the New York Giants, and we're going to go to running back Saquon Barkley. I don't think he's staying in New York. He's not getting franchise tagged. I think next year in 2024, Saquon Barkley is going to be joining uh, the Buffalo Bills division. He's going to go to the AFC East, and I think that Saquon Barkley is going to become a member of the New England Patriots. So the New England Patriots are involved twice here in my three bowl predictions. Number one, they trade down from three to six. And number two, they signed Saquon Barkley. So there you go. There's three NFL predictions. On the Buffalo Bills side, I got three as well. Number one, I don't know how exactly bold this may be because it's not something that would be like out of the blue. 
something that we might not see coming, but I'm going to say it. I think the Bills are going to sign, re-sign one prominent free agent. And I think that player is going to be Daquan Jones. I think the Bills are going to find a way to get something done with Daquan Jones. Two-year deal, maybe a third-year deal where they can get out of it after two rather easily. But that fit Daquan Jones with the Buffalo Bills. I know he likes playing here. He wants to win a ring. And that's the great thing about the Buffalo Bills. You're at a point now where free agents to be or free agents out there could be interested in coming to Buffalo if they're ring chasing. And that certainly would fit what Daquan Jones is doing at this stage of his career. We, we know what he could do. That first month of the season in 2023, Daquan Jones was playing, forget Pro Bowl, Daquan Jones was playing at an all-pro level. Then he tore the pack, came back at the end of the season. He was all right, but he wasn't the same Daquan Jones that we saw in the first month. Anyway, I think with the Bills having needs at defensive end and wide receiver, we're going to have to bring some fresh blood there. If they could go out and re-sign Daquan Jones and maybe just get one veteran backup and, and maybe head to the draft in the middle part of the draft for more defensive tackles, they'll be set. So I think they're going to re-sign Daquan Jones. Um, talked about Gabe Davis. I'm going to say Gabe Davis, who obviously will not be signing with the Bills. Gabe Davis is going to go to the NFC South and he's going to be a Carolina Panther. There you go. Gabe Davis is going to play with Bryce Young next year in Carolina. So that's bowl prediction number two. And then the last one, the Bills are going to sign a couple free agents from other teams. I feel like they're going to have 19 to 20 starters back from last year's roster. One position where I don't think the starter is going to be back is free safety. I think Micah Hyde, whether he retires or whether he, uh, you know, the Bills just don't resign him. I think he's done in Buffalo. I'm going to say the Buffalo Bills signed Baltimore Ravens starting free safety, Geno Stone. I think that is a really good fit. He's not the most athletic safety in the NFL, but he's a, a solid player, a smart player, intelligent, and uh, just always seems to be a right place, right time. I think he'd be a really good fit. Um, I don't think he's going to break the bank, which is the type of free agent that the Bills, quite frankly, have to be in on. So there you go. Daquan Jones resigns. Gabe Davis goes to the Carolina Panthers. And uh, Geno Stone goes to the Buffalo Bills from the Baltimore Ravens. All right, let's keep this going here. This is a long one, but it's interesting. And I want to read it. In fact, if you happen to be watching this on the video side, I had to use two graphics for it because it's that long. But this is pretty poignant. Um, here we go. Josh Allen. Absolutely the most physically gifted athlete to ever play quarterback in the NFL. However, the most important muscle for playing that position is between the ears. And that one most important muscle, Allen is lacking. When comparing Mahomes and Allen, this cognitive deficiency is apparent. You never see a game that the Chiefs lose because of a mistake by Mahomes. Allen, on the other hand, will have three to five games a season where he's the worst player on the field for either team. Allen has a top five defense in Buffalo every year he's been a pro. He's also had all pro wide receivers in Diggs, Beasley, a pro bowl tight end in Knox, and pretty good supporting cast members in Brown and Sanders. And let's not forget one of the most prolific playoff performers in history, Gabe Davis. This year he had a top defense, 
fourth in points allowed, a top offensive line, Diggs, a top running back, Knox, Shakir, Davis, and a budding superstar in tight end or tight end in Dalton Kincaid. Yet the Bills were 0-7 in games that the opponents scored more than 32 points. More than 22 points. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not sure what that means. Well, I think what he's trying to say is the Bills were 0-7 in games where the opponents scored more than 22 points. Again, you don't see these games out of Mahomes. Despite having far less talent around him, I'm convinced that if Mahomes were on the Bills, the Bills win that Houston wildcard game. They win the AFC championship game. They win that Bengals game. And they win that divisional round game in 2023. I don't care what anyone says. You give Mahomes three drives at the end of a game to overcome a three-point deficit, he gets the job done every time. He's proven it time and time again. And this comes from at Mazvids, a frequent uh, contributor to this show. So thank you very much for that, Mazvids. Uh-huh. Look, some of, some of what Maz says is definitely true. I mean, there are three to five, five games might be too much. But one thing he said that I tend to agree with is there are, and maybe this is not the case with Mahomes, Josh Allen, three to four games a year is one of the worst players on the field. He does have a small handful of complete clunkers. And it feels like when he goes off the rails for Josh Allen on any given Sunday, it really torpedoes. I mean, just off the top of my head, that Jets home opener last year, that was on Josh Allen. That wasn't on coaching. One on the rest of the offense, one on the defense. That was Josh turning the ball over, flat out. That Denver game that they lost on Thursday night, Denver got 13 points directly because of bad Josh Allen turnovers. So there's two at least right there. He was not good in New England. I know he put up some numbers late. And you could argue and say that Josh Allen scored a touchdown or the Bills offense scored a touchdown at least anyway. And they took the lead inside two minutes. Should have won the football game. Still put up 25 points. But you're playing the lowly-ass Patriots and Foxborough should have buried them. So there are games where Josh Allen is not good. I'm not going to deny that. I also have come to really hate the Josh Allen versus Pat Mahomes comparisons for lots of reasons. Um, coaching, you know, one, one of these quarterbacks is Andy Reid. One of these quarterbacks has the greatest tight end, arguably in the history of football, certainly in the last 10 years or so, which going back to one of his points that I think is completely entirely wrong, where he says, having far less talent around him, Mahomes having far less talent around him. I think that's complete bullshit. I mean, the guy had Tyree Kill for a couple of years of his career. Guys had Travis Kelsey throughout his career. He's had plenty of capable running backs and receivers. So I don't buy that. I do buy there are some games where Josh Allen is lacking for sure. Um, I think Josh Allen would be the first to tell you that the key to him becoming a complete unstoppable quarterback is to be able to, you know, he's going to have bad games and mistakes. They happen, but just not letting it snowball because there are a couple games over the last few years where you can look at the, you know, you can point the finger at Josh and say, he's one of the biggest reasons why they lost the game. Go back to 2022, that Vikings game at home where they blew the lead. Just inexcusable. Some of the mistakes uh, that he made. 
Uh, the Bills 0-7 in games where the opponent scores more than 22 points. I'm going to take your word for that. I don't know for sure. Um, and then to the last point, you know, that Mahomes wins in Houston, the wild card game, maybe. They win the AFC Championship game. I don't think so. Um, they win the Bengals game. They weren't winning the Bengals game. I don't care who the quarterback was. That was a football team in 2022, that divisional round game. They were completely gassed. They weren't beating the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't give a shit. Because Mahomes, Brady, Steve Young, Joe Montana, I do not care. They were not beating the Bengals. They were out of gas. That defense sucked for the Buffalo Bills. They were lifeless. Matt Milano and actually Kyrie Elam were the only two guys on that defense that even showed up. They blocked terrible. Everything about that game was just complete domination. So Pat Mahomes was not swinging that game. Uh, the divisional round game in 2023, you're talking about if Mahomes and Josh switch uniforms because they just played each other. See, I don't buy that either. Josh Allen played more than well enough for the Bills to beat the Chiefs last month. Straight up. He had a couple throws at the end of the game. He'd like back. But let's be fair. That throw to Shakir that, you know, fell short in the end zone. Chris Jones forced that. And then Josh probably should have taken the check down on the next play instead of trying to throw into the end zone. I, I get that. Again, Josh wasn't flawless. But Josh Allen played really well, certainly well enough to win. Now, Maz is re, um, responding to conversations we've had on the podcast about Mahomes versus Allen. It's not like he's regurgitating some shit that's been dead. These were direct responses to what we've been talking about on the show. And they're good points. I'm not going to say they're not good points. I just, I don't know, man. I, I, I feel like, and I've said this, if I'm the Bills, I'm not trading Josh Allen for anybody. And if I'm the Chiefs, I'm not trading Mahomes for anybody. And that blew up last week. You saw a couple of uh, messages from Chiefs fans laughing that I would say that. I do think if Josh Allen played on the Chiefs and had Travis Kelsey and had Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and Tyree Kill for some of his career and that defense that the Chiefs had this past year, I think Josh Allen is at least one ring and, and maybe even two. Anyway, good point, so uh, let's keep this rolling. Bills went 7-2 and two when they became more run-heavy, beating not good but great teams along the way. The Chiefs' defense was great last season. In the playoff game, the Bills had three more first downs than the second most Kansas City gave up all season, the second most yards. The 2020 offense was high-flying because they had Diggs in his prime, John Brown, Cole Beasley, and Gabe Davis as their number four. McDermott needs to go at least get some ideas as a replacement. Trust me. The shit McDermott does that drives you nuts is nothing compared to guys like Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay do. Love the pod and glad to see Joe is back. And that comes from at Andy uh, Proven 9108. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate uh, the comments. Talking about Joe. Joe, uh, Joe from Queens at Buffalo Wins on Twitter. He was on the show. He returned on Monday after uh, an eight and a half month hiatus. We had some beef. We settled it. We talked about what that beef was on the show on Monday. If you didn't check that out, go back in the archives and listen to that. That was pretty fun. Um, Sure. Again, thanks for the comment. Seven and two would have became more run heavy. 
They were 7-2 when a lot of things changed. On the offensive coordinator, Deshaun McDermott, his, seemingly his approach to the games. Uh, your point about the 2020 offense, man, it's a little depressing because you're right about that. It was a high-flying offense. Man, that was a fun offense. You had Stefan Diggs in his prime. I don't know. You know, maybe Stefan Diggs is not in his prime anymore, but it's not like he's fallen off a cliff, even if his production did in the back half. I think there were a lot of factors in that. But anyway, yeah, John Brown was still good. Cole Beasley was really, really good. One of the best slot receivers in the NFL. And Gabe Davis was their number four. Yeah, those are the good old days of the Buffalo Bills high-flying offense for sure. Not really sure... You know, if what you're saying, any of this is, is a question per se, but um, some really good points. So thank you for that, Andy. Let's keep this rolling here. We'll get one more before the break. It's so odd that McDermott says he follows the Andy Reid philosophy for offense. No one can recognize what they were trying to do in the first 12 games. I have to be shown that this offense can be consistently what is expected of them. You have Josh Allen in a healthy O-line. There should be no excuses. Gabe is a good teammate, but he is maddening to watch the mix-ups and drops soon enough. Thank you, Brian NP. I'm sorry, Brian P150H. Um, yeah, you know, the offense doesn't have any excuses at this point. I agree with you there. Maybe last year going into the season or at some point of the season, they changed coordinators. You have maybe that excuse, but for all the injuries that the Bills had last year, almost all of them were on defense. The offensive personnel was relatively healthy all season long. I mean, you had some go down. Dawson Knox was on IR for a while. Um, they lost Damian Harris pretty early in the season. They're, they're running back too, although production in, at that spot never really slipped at all. But yeah, you had Josh Allen. He played every game. The offensive line played together. Every game, Dalton Kincaid emerged. Khalil Shakir certainly emerged as well. It's that wide receiver too. That's what's missing. That's what's missing. I love Gabe Davis. I've been a founding member of the Gabe Davis fan club. There's nobody who wanted Gabe Davis to work out more than me. I can promise you that. It just never came to be. So it is what it is. But yeah, you're right, man. There's no more excuses for the Bills. When it comes to this offense, they're going to add somebody to it too going into this offseason. Anyway, real quick break, come back. We got more some Bill stuff and also some Sabre stuff as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, I am back here on this Fan Friday episode. Again, the episode where you guys drive all the content, your questions, your comments. I'm reading them on the air and in some cases responding to them. Some cases just, uh, you know, not in my head in approval of what you're saying. All right, let's continue here. Regarding Mike Evans, something about paying another 31-plus-year-old player big money doesn't feel right to me. He also is in ring chasing, so I'm sure he'd rather take a four or five year rich deal somewhere, which we'll never offer. That comes from at Schmitty uh, 2490. You're not wrong about the money. I can tell you that. If there's one thing you're not wrong about is the money. He's going to get minimum a nice big three-year deal, and that's minimum. I say he's getting a four or five-year deal as well. Big money, he's earned it. Ten years in the NFL, ten years with a thousand yard or a thousand yards receiving, he's earned it. And it's not that old, by the way. Thirty-one. I just, I don't know. I, I get why fans, Bills fans, want a young receiver. I get it. But if you can sign Mike Evans to a three, four year deal, figure out the money later, because I'm thinking in my mind. You got Kincaid and Shakir who become really good secondary weapons. And then you have Stefan Diggs and Mike Evans. I mean, are you kidding me? Mike Evans, from a football standpoint, is the perfect, and I mean perfect match for the Buffalo Bills. You could take any free agent out there. And maybe you think I'm exaggerating. And if you think I'm wrong, let me know. Leave a, leave a comment here under the video. But anyway... If I could have my choice right now, if I could be Brandon Bean and, and Terry Bagula said, money's not a factor, we'll figure this shit out. Let's find a way to get a free agent. I think Mike Evans might be my pick. Any position, any player. And I know he's old and he's getting up there, I should say, at 31 years old. I completely understand that. But the guy does everything that the Bills need that they don't have right now. Contested catches separation, a guy who will make that catch in heavy traffic, a guy who will get down the field 
and a guy who will not drop three fucking passes down the field against the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. You know, if Mike Evans, you sign him right now for four years, okay? And sometime in those first two years, the Bills win a Super Bowl, and Mike Evans is a big part of that. And then he falls off a cliff, and you got to eat significant dead money to cut him. Who gives a shit? You just won a championship. Isn't that what's supposed to be what it's all about? I keep hearing all the time, people, young guys, young guys, young guys. I get that. I do. I don't want a team full of old people. But your goal is to win a championship every year. That means you put out the players that are going to give you a best chance to win that championship that year. And Mike Evans, just again, with what this offense has and the one thing that it is missing, it's got Mike Evans' name written all over it. All that said, probably a moot point. I got a couple of friends, by the way, who are big Bucks fans. I mean, they're like really locked into their team. And they all tell me that they would be shocked if Mike Evans goes anywhere. And even if he does, I just don't see the Bills being in a position to, to pony up what it would take to get him. So like I said at the beginning of the show, I think Mike Evans is going to go to Houston or some team that is good that's going to give him so, some really big money. Unfortunately, just don't think it's going to be the Buffalo Bills. All right, keep going here. I like the idea of a former star wide receiver on, oh, by the way, this is in regards, these next two are in regards to uh, New Orleans Saints wide receiver, Michael Thomas. I tweeted earlier in the week, if I could be fantasy GM right now, that I would consider signing Mike, Michael Thomas to a one-year uh, prove-it type of deal. In fact, we had an episode a couple of days ago where I listed 10 realistic Bills wide receiver targets, and I included him on that. So anyway, these next two are in response to my tweet about that. Um, first person says, I like the idea of a former star wide receiver on a cheap prove-it deal, but Michael Thomas doesn't really add anything useful, to be honest. Doesn't add speed, not a guy who wins on the outside or runs blocks or run blocks, not even a separator or a great zone wide receiver either. He just runs slants at stonks sloth. And then the second one says, again, regarding Michael here, it's been five years since his last big year. This feels like Josh Gordon without the drugs. At VJ Girardi 3. That's pretty funny. And it's pretty good. Because it has been since 2019 since Michael Thomas has lit up the NFL. Um, yeah, look, the guy can't stay healthy. He's been hurt. He's been hurt, which is why I think you could go and you maybe you get a guy like that for $3 million for, for one year. I saw PFF and Spotrac, maybe. Their projections, even on a proven year, would be like $7, 8000000 million. Now, if that's the case, hell no. Hell no. But I look at a guy like Michael Thomas, and I think in a perfect world, you go get Michael Thomas for anywhere maybe three to five million dollars max, and you get a good young receiver, maybe Noah Brown, who I really, really love. I'd love to talk about him again today, but no one really asked about him. Anyway, whether it's a young emerging player like that or whether it's the a first round pick, and then you have a guy like Michael Thomas who ideally could be what Emmanuel Sanders was to the Buffalo Bills a couple years ago. A guy who you want him to be 
that fourth receiver, but a guy who, if Stefan goes down, if the rookie goes down, or if he's not ready, or or Shakir, anyone goes down, Michael Thomas can take on an increased role, and, and your offense will still be good. That's the idea behind me liking Michael Thomas. Now, that said, he does get hurt all the freaking time. I think he's played, what, 10 games or some shit like that in like three years? So you'd be taking a real big chance. And this is an organization that has suffered through a lot of injuries, especially these last two damn years. So in hindsight, maybe my uh, my take on Michael Thomas is, is kind of dumb. But anyway, that's a real good take about the Josh Gordon without the drugs. Let's switch gears here over the last handful of minutes. Um, This is a Sabres-related one. A Sabres fan of over 35 years, and next year is it for me. If this shit carries over next year, I'm done. Bagulas are the absolute worst ever. Half-ass everything. It's a goddamn joke. At Wayne 387. Uh, let me read another one too here. Guy says, I have been a hockey fan since the late 1960s, and although I am a Rangers fan in my heart, I have always loved and rooted for the Sabres too. I just don't understand this current team. To me, they have what is needed to make the playoffs. What an enigma of a team. One night they are brilliant and the next night dreadful. They are so much better than this at John W. Locks. That's a really, really, really good take, John, because this team truly is a goddamn enigma. They really are. It is so frustrating. They play well one night and they stink the next. And there's no plausible explanation. Now, if you would have told me a while ago that the Sabres would kind of stink this year, you know what I would have said? Honestly, I would have said the goaltending's awful. That's what I would have came up with. They put all the eggs in the basket of Devin Levi and the rookie just wasn't ready to play. That is true, by the way. But you look at this team, and Uka Pekalukinen has been the MVP of his team. He's been great. The goaltending has been borderline elite. It has been elite, at least over the last two months or so. UPL's been amazing. But yet this team can't put together any winning streaks. They play, what, 60 games right now? And by the way, they're playing later tonight. I'm taping this late Thursday afternoon. They play in Tampa on Thursday night. But this team's played like 59, 60 games, and they got one three-game winning streak the entire season. And it just took until last week before they even had that. So yes, it is maddening. It's the same group of guys as last year, a young core, a young team who has a year more experience. They should be better. The goaltending has been pretty damn good. But yet, they're losing and they are just God freaking awful at home. That might be the most frustrating thing. And that's probably not probably that is the reason last year why they didn't make the playoffs. They missed the playoffs by two games. They were three games under at home last year. Case closed. That's why they make the playoffs this year. Don't know if they were a couple games over 500. That they'd still be a playoff team because they haven't been as good on the road this year as they were last year. But it does say something that they are considerably better this year on the road again than they are at home. That's pressure. That's young dudes 
not responding to pressure to play at home, the distractions that come away from the rink. That is a coach who, and who knows what his future is. The team is not ready to play too many nights. You can't tell me that it's not coaching. You can't tell me it's not coaching when a team comes out night after night, probably what, 15, 18, to maybe 20 times a season, and they fall in the two goal or more deficits at home in the first period. How does that happen? You're not coming ready to play when you're falling down multiple goals at home. How many times a season have the Sabres went a half a game or longer without scoring more than maybe one goal? It's like they sleepwalk through starts. And yes, they're young players. And you got to put some of the onus on the players. They got to get better. Don Granado can't put on a pair of skates to get out there and execute for them. I get that. But a big chunk of this has to go on the coaching. A big chunk of this has to go on a general manager who went out and signed Eric Johnson last summer. Didn't work out. And when you go get a veteran and it doesn't work out, that's on the GM. And then they give Connor Clifton a three-year deal. That contract looks fucking terrible right now. So I get it. I get the frustration of Sabres fans. And these last two comments, by the way, that I just read, the first one is a guy who said he's been a Sabres fan for over 35 years. And the second one is a guy who said he's been a Sabres fan since the late 60s. So you're talking literally more than 50 years right there. A lot of frustration going on uh, with the Buffalo Sabres. Speaking of, one more here. Looking at the lackluster recent trades, it looks like Pagula is slow walking this team out of Buffalo. Seeing all the boobirds that gang up on the team after giving up the first goal at home, I've never seen a worse relationship between fans and players in a home game context. I'd compare to Sabres who was stuck in the mud, LA Angels, and their meddling owner, Artie Marino. They haven't made the playoffs since 2014. And that comes from Classic Play List 8052. I'll tell you what, man. That is a couple great takes in there. I mean, for real. Number one, comparing the Sabres to the LA Angels kind of makes some sense. I never really thought about that until now. Although the Angels have a meddling owner, I'm not really sure to what extent Terry Bagula is a, a meddling owner. Um, where I think this guy is wrong, and I'm assuming it's a guy, it could be a girl too, about this take is that it looks like Bagula is slow walking this team out of Buffalo. I don't believe that. I don't buy that. I don't think Terry Bagula is looking for this team to suck and looking to eventually get this team out of Buffalo. I don't buy that at all. But I love the Angels comparison. I mean, a team with a couple star players, good enough team that you're like, how are the Angels not winning? I've been saying it for the last few years. They have Otani, they got Mike Trout all these years, and they haven't won shit in forever. They haven't even competed for championships in forever. Sabres getting close to that feeling too because they have enough good players. But what I really like about this take is when he says, seeing all the boo birds that gang up on the team after giving up first goal at home, I've never seen a worse relationship between fans and player in a home game context. That's true, man. I buy that. I believe it. I think it's part of the problem, too, by the way, why they're not good at home. That building is dead. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's tough because how much can you blame fans? 
You can't you can't blame fans for for being annoyed and and fed up with it with the team. So the the energy sucks there. The environment sucks. But you can't blame the fans. The fans are frustrated. They're sick of losing. And like it or not, cliche or not, it is true here, folks. The fans are the one who spend their hard-earned money to go watch and support this team. So they have a right to, to boo. They have a right to, to be sitting like they're in a morgue. But conversely, I do think players feed off the energy. I think that's why they're better on the road. Because those road buildings have a lot more energy than Keybake Center does at this point. So it's a true double-edged sword. It really is. And I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. What we know is that the Sabres simply need to start playing better. Because if they can start playing better at home, then uh, you know, maybe the fans can get back into it. But anyway, to his point, the relationship between the team and the fans really, really is shitty. You know, I could. If I had 100 comments right now from people about the Sabres, I would project 80 to 85 of them would be negative, like the ones I just read. Maybe not quite that negative, but at least to some extent negative, because there's just not a lot to feel, you know, really great about when it comes to all the bills right now. Real quick, too, by the way, before we get to the last one here, if you want to be involved in this show, you want your question or your comment read on the air, hit me up, man. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, they're all at Patrick Moran TV, uh, Facebook and YouTube is both Talking Buffalo podcast. Um, on the YouTube side, pretty simple. Just watch one of the videos and uh, leave a comment. If it's good, I'll pluck it and I'll, I'll probably use it on this show. All right, last question here. And this one's pretty interesting. Who do you think is the most underrated podcaster in the Buffalo market? This comes from Thomas Colson. It's a really good question. Sorry to take a quick sip of water. Um, I'm going to surprise you here because this might be an answer that you don't expect. I think the most underrated podcaster in the Buffalo market actually is Tim Graham. And I'm going to have to explain that because when you think of Tim Graham, you think of the writer. Tim, without question, is one of the very best writers, not just in Buffalo, but in the business, period. And I'm not telling you something you, you don't already know. That's well known. That's not underrated. Tim's not an underrated writer because everybody already knows what kind of writer Tim Graham is. So when you think of Tim, you think of that. But when I think of Tim, I also think of his podcast. I think he's actually really, really good. And it's funny because when you watch the Tim Graham show or Tim Graham and Friends, I'm sorry. Tim Graham's show was his radio show. Um, Tim Graham and friends that he does with Jonah Bronstein and sometimes they'll have a guest with them. I like his podcast for a, a few reasons. Number one, the setup. You know, I, I'm sitting here kind of being condescending towards people who spend really good money on cameras and microphones and studio stuff. And I got all kinds of expensive shit here. Like my setup is pretty relative to others, elaborate. But you got stuff like that. And then you have somebody like Tim and you tune into his show, at least on, especially on the YouTube side, dude doesn't even have like a background. Like it's him and Jonah and there's not, I mean, there's they got their logo, but there's no background or any of that shit. It is plain Jane and basic. But here's the thing. 
that's what podcasts were supposed to be to begin with. So I like, I like Tim and his show, the way he does podcasting, A, because it feels like the way a podcast, I think, is supposed to be. Um, obviously, he is a, a great person at having conversations. There's nobody out there who, and you know, Tim knows his shit. We all know that. But Tim is actually a really good conversator as well. And he does it in a very nonchalant way. Like there's a lot of talented people in the Buffalo media who also do podcasts and they're good at it. They really are. But it almost feels like they're producing a show. Whereas Tim, it just feels like, all right, me and you are going to sit down and we're going to talk. And I'm going to hit the record button and whatever comes out, comes out. And I love that about that show. I'm almost, in a way, it sounds like I'm making fun of a show and I'm not. I'm just saying, you know, the topics are really engaging too, which by the way, he talks about a bunch of different things. Um, there are a lot of shows out there that we all watch and I'm big fans of, but they're football shows. There's a couple that are hockey. Tim talks about whatever the topics are worth uh, talking about, but I think he does it low key better than anyone else. It's just the production value of his show, I guess to wrap it up, the production value of his show at least on the video side, kind of stinks. You know, no fancy mics, no fancy backgrounds, none of the bells and whistles. But what you get is meat. You get meat and potatoes. And it's just really interesting. Like every time I press play on a Tim Graham podcast, I almost always end up listening uh, to the entire thing. So anyway, to answer your question, I think it's actually underrated on the podcast side, Tim Graham. All right, on that note, that's going to do it for this episode. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Again, one more time, whether you're whether you're watching, whether you're listening, make sure you subscribe, by the way, on the YouTube side. Um, like the comment, subscribe. Um, helps us really grow on, uh, on the video side. Appreciate y'all very much. Have a really good weekend. I'll be back. Brand new episodes next week. Talk to you then.